Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you please take your Bibles and open them to the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and Nehemiah chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 10 and Nehemiah chapter 4 in a Bible study that I've entitled, How Discouragement Comes Our Way. How Discouragement Comes Our Way. Because my pastor taught me and is still teaching this truth. He taught us that to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And as we talk about a difficult subject today, God is revealing to us some of the various ways that discouragement comes against us and some of the temptations that we face that are primarily through people and situations that come our way that tempt us toward discouragement because discouragement is a part of all of our lives. It's so very rare for any of us to escape or resist discouragement and the ugly results that come from discouragement because it's true is it not things don't always get better sometimes they get worse marriages don't always stay together sometimes there's divorce kids don't always walk with the Lord sometimes there's rebellion and backsliding jobs don't last forever layoffs and closings abound and with life's disappointments comes discouragement Notice with me in Hebrews chapter 10, where we are in our verse-by-verse study, we learn the beauty of access to God. We learn the encouraging open door that we have to come right into the presence of God. Verse 19, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's that open invitation for all of us to enter in, to come frequently, to enjoy sweet fellowship. And we're to come with full assurance, it says in verse 22, a full assurance of our faith that our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, discouragement really has a tendency to take away that assurance. Discouragement has a way of us just remembering and regretting bad decisions. Discouragement undermines that cleansing and washing that God has done through the water of his word in our lives as we present our bodies a living sacrifice to him. So it's vital that we understand that this is a common tool of the enemy. And as we learn now, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4, as we learn there is always opposition when you choose to follow God. Because this time in Nehemiah has a group of a few thousand people coming back to the city of Jerusalem to rebuild its broken down walls and the broken down city. It has laid in ruins for many years now. And God has raised up a new leader by the name of Nehemiah 
that has given a call to the people to say anyone that wants to go back and rebuild the city of worship and rebuild the walls of protection, uh, let's go back. And a few thousand people left everything, all that they owned, all that they knew in in the country of Babylon, and they go back to repair the city and repair the walls. And what are they met with? Opposition. You can be sure of this. Anytime you decide to follow God and make a decision for God, there will be opposition. Any progress that you make in following God will be met with stiff opposition. It it will be met with anytime you're making progress forward, you will literally feel being pushed back in the spiritual realm. Pick up with me now in Nehemiah chapter 4 as we read through the condition of the people as they've set their hearts and their minds to work and how God wants to use them in a powerful, wonderful way to bring about a tremendous work of rebuilding and strengthening the city of worship. So notice verse 1, chapter 4. But so it happened when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now, verse three, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, He will break their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So, verse 6, we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. You might want to circle that word, mind. We'll get to it in a moment. Verse 7. Now it happened when Samballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, We made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. In our time today in God's word, I want to point out to you the different people that came against the work of God. Because most of the spiritual warfare, most of the opposition we experience in life is from other people. Have you noticed that? It's other people. It's difficulties in our family. It's difficulties at work. It's difficulties in our neighborhood. Maybe even some difficulties that are in this room right now. The battle seems to be with people. But we make a grave error when we take that battle on and fight people. Because the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The battle is really not with another person as painful as that person may be. There is a spiritual reality behind that attack. The devil himself is behind that attack. The spiritual realm behind the scenes. And you know, the devil only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so the battle really isn't with other people, 
although other people become the presentation of the difficulty. That's one thing we learn, and we'll see some things behind these people that have come against the work of God. Secondly, I want you to notice that spiritual warfare was met by a mind to work. Notice it says in verse six that the wall got built half its height because why? The people had a mind to work, which is important for us to learn. Spiritual warfare often is an attack on your mind. That's where the battle really takes place. The battle for what you will believe. Because if the enemy can have you believe a lie, then you've lost the battle. A a battle in your mind of what decisions you will make. Because it's in the will, remember we learned last time, it's God working in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's in the mind where our will and our decisions are made. And so there's naturally a spiritual battle of whether you receive what God has placed in you, in your will, or you respond with your own fleshly response. I mean, there's a hint of the battle in the mind when when Paul teaches us in Ephesians about the spiritual armor to put on. The very first piece of armor he tells us to put on is what? The helmet of salvation that symbolically covers what? The mind, the head, the brain, to protect that place of decision in your life. And discouragement comes through situations. Discouragement comes through people. And discouragement is a part of the spiritual battle that you and I are in. And the whole point, the whole point of the attacks of the enemy in your life and mine is to stop the work of God in your life. Because the people committed to go back and rebuild. And that's a beautiful picture of Nehemiah, how a people come together and build But you know there's a greater picture in Nehemiah, and that's God's heart. While there was was a desire to rebuild the house of worship and to rebuild the walls of protection, the greater truth of Nehemiah and the greater truth in your life is God's desire to build you and to put walls of protection around you and to rebuild that place of worship in you so that you and I find ourselves abiding in Christ drawing on his resources and enjoying our relationship with him where we come in by the blood of Jesus Christ and the flesh, his own body that was sacrificed for us. So we got to keep our eyes open for discouragement. If you're taking notes, the definition of discouragement is simply this, a loss of confidence or enthusiasm. And you Bible students know that the, the word enthusiasm actually comes from two Greek words. One word meaning in, and the other theos, meaning God. And the idea of enthusiasm for the believer is that you're encouraged and excited in God. You're enthusiastic. It's an exciting time to serve the Lord. A great time to serve God in this time, in this community, in this church family. But discouragement takes away that excitement. And it slows down, if not stops and stalls, the work of God in our lives. And while the situations in life are different and can vary, the causes of discouragement don't vary all that much. We pretty much face all the same things. And today I wanna give you six things, six reasons discouragement comes our way. And we learn it from these people that are coming against the people of God. So notice with me again in verse one, we're introduced to this man named Sanballat. Sanballat, his name literally means secret enemy or thorny or thorn bush. 
Sanballat. And he's the first way that discouragement comes into our lives, and that's through secret pains. Secret pains. Sanballat's name means secret enemy. And yet there wasn't much hidden or secret about his goals and his plans. He was the mastermind of this opposition. And we see right away that he begins in verse 1 to mock and ridicule because he's furious, he's indignant, and he began to mock. And he began to make fun of. And he stirred up others to say, to say these things as he was saying, oh, what are these feeble Jews doing? And will they afford it? He's making fun of them and mocking them. And he's mocking the work of God. And discouragement comes in our lives when people mock us and ridicule us and use sarcasm and, and these questions to question what God is doing in your life. For example, you may have made a decision to raise your children in such and such a way. And when someone in your family found out or one of your friends at work found out, what did they do? They laughed at you. Why would you do that? And, and why would you read the Bible to them? And why would you do that to your kids? And why would you have them go pick up trash? Or whatever it is that you have thought of that God put upon your heart to lead your children in the ways of God, it was met by, it was met by mockery. And what does mockery do? If even just for a split second, it makes you second guess your decision. And you begin to wonder, did I make the right decision? Instead of walking confidently, you begin to think, well, maybe I didn't make the right decision. And you start to dwell on that. And before you know it, mockery, you know, words hurt. Did you know that? Words hurt. I know we grew up with that famous uh, nursery rhyme, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will. You guys never heard of that? Am I going to teach it to you? We'll all sing it together. Sticks and stones break our bones, but words will. That's not the truth. It's not the truth. Words can penetrate much deeper than a broken bone. Some of you listening to me right now are still reeling from the difficult words you heard as a child. Somebody said something so mean to you that it pierced and cut to the very core of who you are. A place where God's healing can be found, but painful nonetheless. And so Sambalit, he knows the power of words and the power of mockery. And he comes against the children of Israel to undermine their commitment to God, to discourage them from the work, to get them to quit. And his strategy was to use words to wither up souls, to weaken their resolve, to take away their determination. And his name means secret enemy. And here's, here's the point that I'm making here. Sometimes... Somebody else's words awakens a secret hurt in your life and it discourages you. Something that you thought you were over, something that you thought you moved on from, but, but you heard a song or someone was directly attacking you. You know, this happens a lot in really tight, close relationships. You know, we even times might even laugh at it or chuckle at it but you use the phrase that there's someone in your life that knows what buttons to push. Well, why would they ever push buttons but to discourage you and to hurt you? To get you all stirred up. And sometimes that hurt or that stirring up with those words touch something secret that really nobody knows. Maybe a few people know. It's between you and the Lord. And you thought you'd moved on from it, but like Sam Ballot, it just stifles you and it discourages you. Because the enemy wants to expose our pain. 
He wants to take advantage of our weaknesses. And these places, secret places of pain and secret hurts, from time to time do come back to discourage us and are usually triggered by outright lies. So we got to watch out for the Sambalats in our life. Number two, we're introduced to another man in verse three. His name is Tobiah. Tobiah. Now, Tobiah's name is an interesting one. It means God is good. (laughs) Jehovah is good. But everything Tobiah does is bad. And so how is it that Tobiah would speak to us of a place of discouragement? Well, while his name means God is good, he finds himself in a place of joining in with Samballot to ridicule the people of God. So how could his name possibly lead to discouragement? Well, here's what I want you to see. His name means one thing, but his actions are the exact opposite. So his name means God is good, so you would think that a man carrying that name would represent the goodness of God, but his actions are just the opposite. There's a Bible word for that. It's called hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is a source of discouragement in at least two ways. First of all, in the obvious way, the hypocrisies of others is very discouraging to us. It's, it's like we don't expect it. You would admit, you, hey, you're a believer, but then that believer acts completely contrary to the word of God. That's discouraging. Hypocrisy is always discouraging to the believer. When you're going through difficult times, when you're facing challenges, when you're fast at work, doing what God has called you to do, trying to rebuild, remake, take a step of faith, you happen to be ripe for a hypocrite to come along and take advantage of you thus discouraging you. Tobiah was a leader in the area. And instead of living up to his name, God is good, he lived up to the very opposite. He was the kind of guy that instead of standing for righteousness, he was just influenced by whoever was around him. Notice it says in verse 4, or excuse me, verse 3, that Tobiah was beside Samballot. So he was just hanging out with the wrong people. Which is why we constantly warn, the Bible constantly warns, there's even a passage of scripture in the Bible that says, evil company corrupts good habits. You have to be very careful who you invest your life with because it's universal for all of us. Evil company will corrupt good habits. It will change you and me. It's not that we're to completely pull out of the world or to get rid of all our unbelieving friends. Absolutely not but how careful we need to be of how we invest our time and who we hang out with. Because here, Tobiah, he's hanging out next to Sam Ballad, and of course, they've made an alliance, and he joins in. Such a hypocrite. His name means one thing, his life means another. Let me give you another source of hypocrisy that brings great discouragement, and that would be our own hypocrisy. When you live the life of a hypocrite, it will discourage you. You weren't made to live that way. You weren't made to present yourself as one thing and to live the complete opposite. You weren't made to be in this church, to be a part of this church community and say, I love Jesus Christ, I'm following him, you can depend on me, and in the exact opposite, live your life. Not be reliable, living for the world, just pretending to be a Christian, that is discouraging. And many times when I'm speaking to someone that is discouraged, I'll find myself asking them, How's your relationship with the Lord? Where have you been? What is going on in your life? Because hypocrisy from others will be discouraging, 
but so will our own hypocrisy. You weren't made to be a hypocrite. You were made to walk in the light, to live a life of transparency and honesty and fidelity and loyalty. You were born again to live as a person we can depend upon, a person that is the salt and the light of the earth. That's, why you, that's where you find great joy. You find great joy abiding in Christ. There's no joy in hypocrisy. None whatsoever. Let me give you one more thing when it comes to Tobiah here, and that is he's standing next to Samballot, and he was easily influenced by the behavior of Samballot, and he stood for nothing. He was, a, he was more feeble-minded, I believe, and because he stood for nothing, he was easily influenced by Samballot, and it's hard to be around people like Tobiah. It's discouraging. He's one thing around you and a whole thing around a whole different thing around others. He's nice to your face but stabs you in the back. I think a great example in the New Testament would be a man by the name of Judas. You know, we often think and relate the betrayal of Judas directly to Jesus Christ, and you would be accurate. That is the greatest betrayal ever known to man. But I want to remind you that Jesus Christ was not the only one that was shocked by the betrayal of Judas, he also betrayed his friends, the guys he spent three years with. He was a betrayer all across the board. And being around people like that is very discouraging. It is saddening. And if we dwell on it, it'll just get worse. We need to be careful around Tobiah and hypocrisy. Number three, number three, would you go back to chapter two in Nehemiah with me? Because this guy was introduced a little bit earlier in the book. In Nehemiah chapter 2, in verse 19, we meet a guy. It says, but when Samballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and here's a new guy, Geshem the Arab heard it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? So the third source of discouragement comes to us from Geshem the Arab. Now, his name literally means to rain, R-A-I-N, water coming, to shower, to shower down. The idea of rain and showering would be something of refreshment, but that's not Geshem here. Geshem is the kind of guy that would rain down water on your enthusiasm, pouring water on your excitement. People like Geshem love to bring others down, especially in times of great success and great encouragement. They just can't see, seem to enjoy with others unless they're the center of attention or it personally benefits them. This is a warning to all of us of two primary emotions that we, we've got to stay away from, jealousy and covetousness. Those are really nasty emotions that will lead us to bad decisions. You know, the idea of jealousy, and that is I'm not happy that you have something. I'm just not happy. I, I want it. I wish I had it. I wish I had what you had. But covetous goes a little bit deeper than that. And that is not only am I not happy that you have what you have, but I would rather take from you what you have and I would have it so that you don't have it. And it's just a deep-seated, nasty emotion that will bring discouragement to everyone that it touches that you're just not happy that other people are blessed or encouraged. And not only that, if you go too far, that you want what they have and you don't want them to have it. 
which is simply not the agape love of Jesus Christ in our lives. People like Geshem love to bring discouragement into encouraging times. And they have a tendency to pull down and pull down and pull down with their words until finally someone just gives up. And they, they I, I guess you, the, the phrase that's used today is they just rain on your parade and try to bring about, you know, since they're not happy, they don't want you to be happy. And isn't that discouraging to be around people like that? It's like, man, I just want to show you a great thing that happened in my life. And they're not happy. And then they take it even further to try to discourage you. Number four, come back to chapter four with me, would you? There's a fourth source of discouragement that we learn of here, and that is this group, jump down to verse seven. It says, now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Arabs is the next group. Now this is not so much a statement of, uh, of nationality as it is of a group of people. Now today we would refer to this group of people like, like the Bedouins. Like if you go to Israel with us, on some of the days that we journey, we'll go down south into the Negev desert, and on either side in the desert, you'll see these, these temporary tents up, and you'll see these, these ramshackle tents along the highway, because they belong to the Bedouins. They're not permanent structures. Uh, the Bedouins like to wander around. They like to go from place to place. They don't like to stay in any one place too long. However, in Israel, it's interesting, when you drive down and those tents are there, even though they're kind of temporary structures, every one of the Bedouin tents has a satellite dish on it so they can get TV coming in. It's like, well, I guess they've established themselves in that one place. But in the time of Nehemiah, they were the wanderers. And they would just go from place to place wherever it most benefited them. You know, where the water was, where the feeding for the animals were, and that's the case. So now they find themselves just showing up out of nowhere to align themselves with the enemy of God. And these represent a group of people that bring great discouragement. And, and this is who they represent. People that you don't even know coming against you because they sided with your enemies. You're like, where did you come from? And what's my beef with you? Like, what, where did you come from? Well, you know, I'm a friend of a friend of a friend, and I heard this about you, so I hate you too. That's pretty discouraging to have people that don't even know you come against you because they've taken one side of the story and believed that and never even talked to you. You know, these guys probably got involved with the people of, you know, Tobiah and Sambala because they believed that, that if they were victorious, they would get the spoils and they would get those things. You know, we can be discouraged by people that we don't even know that have sided with people that are against us and that always stinks. You know, that happened in the life of Jesus. Remember, there were two primary religious groups that existed during the time of Jesus. One group we know as the Pharisees. They were a, a very conservative group of men that were dedicated to a literal interpretation of the Bible. And that was their commitment. And the Pharisees actually started out very strongly and very wholesome. They were good for the people of God. And their commitment was to the Word of God. On the other side, there was that group known as the Sadducees. The Sadducees were almost the exact opposite of the Pharisees. They were very liberal. Uh, they didn't believe in most of the Bible. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They, they were sort of like the elite and believed that the teaching of the Bible was more for their personal profit. So they were kind of the faith teachers of the day. And so you've got the Pharisees on one side and the Sadducees on the other, and they were bitter enemies. They didn't like each other because they didn't agree. That is 
until they had a common enemy. And when there was a common enemy, enemies became friends. That's how the Arabs are here. They really didn't have a beef with the people of God. They really didn't have a beef with them. They just kind of go around living their own life, paying, minding their own business until, until they lined up with these guys. And it's discouraging to have people that don't know you. And all, all they have been has been influenced by one side of the story, which leads me to a few thoughts on this group so you don't have to be a part of this discouragement. Number one, turn over to Proverbs chapter 18, would you please? Proverbs chapter 18. Because it is wrong, church, to make up your mind after only hearing one side of the story. It is wrong. The Bible teaches against it. And we always, and I emphasize the word always, make a mistake when we come to a conclusion by only hearing one side of the story. It is always wrong. And the Bible says this, notice Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17. The first one to plead his cause seems right. And isn't that true? The first one to grab your ear sounds right. And the reason they sound right is because the way the story is fashioned favors themselves. They only speak of what's going to benefit them. They only speak of their hurt. They only speak of what's happened to them. And there's only one side of the story, and it's biased. It's biased. Now, parents, parents, you totally get this. You totally get this because, yeah, you know, you got a couple kids, they're fighting in the back room, and you hear them, and one of the kids is going to run out. Why? Because they want to be the first one to tell you how wrong their other brother is. And they come and go, oh, look at me, I'm so hurting. And no, he hit me in the head and hit me with a frying pan. You're like, why is a frying pan in the back? But anyway, they're hitting, boom, boom, boom. And then what do you do? You call, you call the other kid. Ah, you know, Joey. And like now Joey's all messed up and you're already kind of biased. Now, I didn't have a lot of parents like agree with this, but you know it. <laughs> because your kids know it. Your kids know this. They know if they can get to you first, there's a better chance of them receiving less discipline if you can hear their version first. Because you weren't there, so you don't know what happened. It's true within, you know, we're just grown-up kids. You realize that, right? We're just grown-up kids. And a lot of these habits were developed in our lives, and we still have them. And we're prone to believe the first side. But notice what the rest of the verse says. The first side seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. It is always wrong, church, to make up your mind on one side of the story. It's always right to get the other side or not to come to a conclusion at all. Or even better yet, don't let anybody come and bring their side to you. Because that brings us to the second thing. And the second thing to avoid this type of discouragement is to not gossip. Gossip is the is one of the most popular sins among the children of God, gossip. And it's almost always couched under very spiritual language. Perhaps even sometimes with true motives where you really want to help someone, but you go about it the wrong way. Gossip is sin. And it's not to be entertained and not to be committed among us as believers. It's not, we're not to talk about other people behind their back. We're not to put people down. We're not to build a case. We're not to say things about people when they're present, they're not present with us that would demean their character 
or, or would somehow cause someone to think less of them. That's sin. And God would not to have that among the body of Christ. And even more so, God is saying us to us today that it is not his desire for Calvary Church here in Aurora to be filled with gossips. It needs to stop. It is hindering the work of God through you and through us. It is not helping the cause of Christ. And you know, gossip goes two ways. There are two types of gossip. Because some of you might be right now thinking, okay, oh, that was a heavy word, but I'm not really a gossip. I don't really talk about people. Because gossip number one is the gossip of the mouth. And that's the one we think of the most. Where it comes out of your mouth, where you're talking about so-and-so. Maybe it's a, hey, we really need to pray for so-and-so. Really, what do we need to pray about? Well, let me tell you what's going on. Or I just got hurt by so-and-so. Really, what did she do? And, oh, no, 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 no. And you know, you go, and, and it's just, you're influencing people to not like someone. You're maybe even telling lies about someone. And there's gossip of the mouth. And you might be saying right now, well, praise God, I'm not, I am not guilty of gossip of the mouth. Well, there, it's a two-way street because there's not only gossip of the mouth, but there's also gossip of the ears. You really can't gossip unless some, someone's talking and someone's listening. And God would have none of that among us. It's not his will for us. You know, I, I know in the circles that I'm involved in with other pastors and pastor's friends, sometimes we as pastors are the most guilty of this. And it's not good in a pastor's lips or a pastor's ears to talk about the congregation, to talk about different hurts or pains. It's better just to take it to the Lord and let him heal you instead of destroying someone else's life. In the name of God, imagine that. It is not good to talk about others. I, I think, you know, you think how bad it was in Nehemiah's day, how bad this situation was, how they spread letters and they were, you know, they had to be talking to each other because they were standing nearby. Can you imagine how bad it would have been in Nehemiah's day if there was social media? And how much more there would be to put down the work of God or try to stop the work of God. And, and you know, so much of social media is just one messed up, twisted side of the story. And it got you all riled up and, and oh, I can't believe it. And then you find out the other side and you go, man, then pride kicks in and you won't admit that you sinned. And now it's not even a gossip issue anymore. It's your pride and your arrogance and you won't admit to man and to God, that you've sinned. And it's just a mess. And this guy, he's just standing by being influenced by Sam Ballot. He's just standing by. He, he, we don't even know who these guys are. And they take a position against the people of God. I think today, you know, in the, in the ministry that I'm a called of and the different people that have come in and out of this church, there are literally people right now, probably this very second, talking bad about me, posting something bad about me that have my phone number, my personal cell, that if they chose to call me right now, it would ring this phone in my hand, but they choose not to use it because if they did call me and we resolved it, they wouldn't have anything to talk about. Because that's what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 18. If, you're, if you've been offended, go to that person, you and him alone. Talk it out. If he hears you, what does the Bible say? You have won your brother. Isn't that what we desire? We want to see people one in relationship. We don't want to be all caught up in all the things that are said, which leads me to the third thing. 
And that is to pastors and leaders of your own church. You know, I can only speak in relationship to our fellowship family, but it's a universal truth. And it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19, and it says this. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. And, and that literally means two or three people that experience the same exact thing, not two or three people that read a Facebook post and say, oh boy, yeah, wow, yeah. And then you start believing bad about someone. Specifically, the pastors of your church, the leaders of your church, your home group leaders. It's better if you hear something, either just to shut it down or go to the person and ask them if it's true. Don't make up your mind. Don't make up your mind. I can't tell you how many people have come to me with something they've heard about me. And when I answer, they go, oh, that makes sense. But even better than all of that, even better than all that, wouldn't it be just the best if someone came gossiping to you and you looked them in the eye and said, stop gossiping to me, I will not receive it, and repent and get right with the Lord. Wouldn't that stop it? <laughs> yes, it would. And then you go, but Ed, maybe I'll lose a friend. Listen, that's a whole different Bible study altogether. But you stand for righteousness and it could just be your voice. You don't have to be so mean or so strong. You just say, man, why are you, why, why are you gossiping to me? And, and which leads to another question. And I've done this in other studies, but if people come to you with gossip, why are they so comfortable coming to you with gossip? That's something you should consider. Like, why would you, why would you be the one they come to? And that, that you and I would just not fall into discouraging other people through the sin of gossip or jumping on people's bandwagons that we don't even have anything to do and encouraging people in the Lord. There's another, there's a couple more before we head out. The next group of people in verse seven is called the Ammonites. The Ammonites. This re represents the flesh life. Our flesh can be very discouraging. The Ammonites were the descendants of Ammon who was the son of Lot's youngest daughter. You recall that Lot, lived in Sodom with his family. And Sodom was a corrupt city filled with sin, and the corruption of the city corrupted Lot and his family. We know that the Bible teaches us that God destroyed the city of Sodom along with Gomorrah, and Sodom and his family fled, or excuse me, Lot and his family fled the city. Unfortunately, they were, in, they were instructed not to look back, and you'll remember Lot's wife looked back and she was judged immediately. But Lot and his daughters went up into the hills. And I believe then in the hills, because of this destruction of this local city, I believe in the mind of Lot's daughters, they believed they were the only ones left on earth and that they were responsible to procreate. So they came up with a plan. And their plan was to have incestuous sex with their dad. And therefore, they can repopulate the earth. And that's what they did. Well, one of the results of that sinful fleshly decision was Ammon, and he became an enemy of the people of God from that day. The Ammonites represent the flesh, our old sinful habit patterns. And you know the battle that we're in between the spirit and the flesh is ongoing, constant, never ends. And that can be discouraging because sometimes we feel like, man, we're not making any progress. We feel like, man, I, I'm, just, I'm just a fleshly guy, I'm a fleshly gal, and I just don't know if I'm ever gonna outgrow this, and it's a discouraging thing. It can be so discouraging when it seems like the flesh, our old sinful habits, taking things in our own, under our own control, that it always wins and wins a lot. And the tug of war seems to tire us and it gets tiring fighting the battle. 
we think it'll never end. And the, the truth is it will never end until we shed these earthly bodies. There will be a battle continually, a battle for your life and the substance of your life live it out, living out for the things of God. But you know, the flesh of other people bum you out too. <laughs> it's a bummer to deal with the flesh of other people. And yet God would infuse us with the agape love that he alone produces that we might love is patient and is kind. And we're able to be patient with people in the flesh of their lives. Which leads us to the last group of people here in verse 7. And that's the Ashdodites. The Ashdodites. Their name means to steal. Or I will spoil. The Ashdodites speak of robbing people. The book of Joshua tells us that these Ashdodites lived in the area of the giants. You know, the same giants that came against David. They lived in the area of Gath and Ashdod. They were close associates of the giants, perhaps even mixing their bloodline with them. And they speak to us today of the giants in our lives. And that really makes sense. The big things in our lives can be so discouraging. Giant situations, giant problems, things that are beyond our control, giant people just ripping us off and ripping us off of our joy disturbing the peace and disrupting the clarity. Like it says here, part of the spiritual warfare was to bring confusion. And we know that confusion is not from God. He is not the author of confusion. And so to get our minds all twisted up, to get us confused and feeling like we're in a fog, touching our emotions and literally feeling bad for reasons that we should feel bad, altogether, these things, it says in verse Eight, they all conspire together. Sometimes it hits us all at once. And you know, giant things come into our life all the time, the impossible things. The medical diagnosis. I was on the phone on the way home from service last night to a family. It was a long-term, long-time part of our church family that moved to another state and I had gotten word that uh, the wife was sick. And, and so last night I was able to follow up with them and not only was uh, this precious sister sick, but she got diagnosed with one of the most radical forms of cancer that a person could be uh, diagnosed with. So much so that they cut the tumor out of her arm and within just a month or so, it grew back that fast. And so I spent time on the phone with them, driving home on the speakerphone, praying with them and encouraging them. And, and so far they are encouraged, but I know that discouragement's knocking on the door. That's a giant problem. It's beyond our ability, whether it's a diagnosis or some significant family issue that's not resolved. Family issues are huge. They're big. So much of them are out of our control. And we just pray that God would bring people to their senses. You know, Jesus said that it profits without honor except in his own home. So family pains almost like multiply the pain. It's giant. It's big. There's a bill that came up that you can't pay, a job that you're looking for that you haven't found, and there's just these giants in your life that tempt us toward discouragement and not faith in God. You add to that life and everyday life. You know, you think of the mental tiredness that you have because of all the mind games and the battle. You think of the physical tiredness that you have because of all the hard work, you know, you're uh, you're working all day. Some of you are working a couple jobs to make ends meet. Some of you got a night shift now and you're tired. And some of you, you know, single parents and you've got to get the kids over here and work over here. And it's just, you're tired. 
You're physically drained, you're mentally drained, and then on top of that, you're emotionally drained. And you can see how these things are continually beating down on discouragement because discouragement's never satisfied. As I mentioned earlier, discouragement grows. And it grows to low-grade depression, sadness, sorrow, even deep depression, perhaps even hopelessness, as all you can see is the circumstance. But it's time on a regular basis to get our eyes off the circumstances because however giant the problem is, God is able to make a way where there is no way. God is faithful even when we are faithless. He is greater than the difficulties in your life. And I want to show you something. We're not going to, uh, we're not going to um, uh, develop this. I taught this in another Bible study. But turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 30 as the worship team comes up and we close out our service. I just want you to see that in a deep, deep downtime in David's life, he learned a vital lesson. So 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. This is... David's example of getting his eyes off of the circumstances that was right up in his face. People wanted to kill him. He himself was discouraged. He thought all was lost and all hope was lost. And as he measured it with his own resources, there's no way he was going to get out of this. And notice in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters. And here's the key. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And you asked me, Ed, how? And we'll look at that next time. But how often am I to strengthen myself in the Lord? And the answer is every time you need to. All the time. All day. Looking to the Lord. Abiding in him. In another translation it says David encouraged himself. In the Lord. And your source of encouragement is not another man, not a pastor, not a church. Your source of encouragement. Look, hope is not a feeling as primarily as we might think it is. Hope is a person that brings about those types of changes in our hearts to turn discouragement into encouragement. Because God is working all things together for the good. And God is present in your life by faith. And God does love you. And he has promised not to leave or forsake you. And you know, you look back, all of us can look back and see God's faithfulness in the past. We can see the last thing that we thought we were done. We thought it was over. We thought everything was lost. God showed up and he was faithful to take care of us. And he's faithful to get us through. And you know, he'll get you through this one too. And he'll give you the strength to carry on. And so last night I just felt like, man, it was just a spur of the moment, but I want to invite you too. We have, the, we have these things set up here with pens and things up here and paper. If, if you want us as a church staff to pray for you, then write down the need on a piece of paper and come and put it up in one of these containers. You can do that during this last song. You don't have to put your name on it, but we get together every Wednesday morning. Uh, we get together with the school and then they go off to teach and then we have a staff meeting with the church and we're just going to pray for the needs of our church. There are many. And I want you to leave here knowing if you put a piece of paper up on one of these that the leaders of your church are praying for you. And we're going to lift it up. We're going to read it by name. And we're going to lift it up to the throne room of grace on your behalf. And so this will give you something to practically respond today. That maybe you are discouraged. And maybe you think there's no way out. Well, let us join together with you. 
and let us pray for you. And if you're listening to this on the radio, no matter what church you go to, no matter where you are, you email us directly. You go to our website, calvaryco.church, send us that prayer, and we will pray for you. And we'll lift up your need. You don't have to put your name on it, but you can put the need, and then we're just gonna, I've already figured out what we're gonna do on Wednesday. We're just gonna pass them out, and as much time as we have, we're just gonna literally around the room read the needs. We're just gonna keep reading the needs for all the time that we're together so that we're saying, God, you know the needs of our church. You know the hearts of the people here. And so whether you have something to write on there or you wanna come up during this, during this last song, all this stuff is up here for you. They found a bunch of different pins and you could take advantage of this, drop it in one of the containers and then we're gonna pray for you this Wednesday. And I, we're gonna give some of the prayer requests to Pastor Avant tonight and uh, they'll pray for them by, by need tonight too. So let's stand together, church. And let's sing this song to Jesus. Let's worship him. Let's learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Let's learn to trust him with our lives, small or large. Let's not be a part of the problem. Let's be a part of the solution. Let God pour out his spirit upon us that he might have you leave here encouraged today knowing that your church is praying for you. So let's sing this unto him. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.